said last Sunday, if you heard it in my sermon that uh, Lent, I repeated what I said on Ash Wednesday, that Lent was about three things. Uh, It was about an invitation, it was about remembering or reflecting, and it was about penance. And I said with a smile on my face that I was kind of looking forward to talking about penance, just because it's uh, something the church doesn't talk that much about, and I think most of us believe when we hear the word penance, we think of Catholic Church, not the Anglican Church or the Protestant Church. Well, no penance today. I want to I want to go a little deeper with the gospel. But before Easter, you have my word. We'll we'll talk a little bit about penance, which is just uh, three ways the church gives us to draw closer to the Lord. Uh, we're given penance in Lent for that exact reason, and we're given this gospel today. I think. Uh, for the same reason. You see, Lent, I believe, is this journey that takes us from one place in our heart. Uh, For most of us 21st Christians, I think it takes us from a place of certainty. We believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, We stand on this side of the cross. We celebrate his resurrection every Sunday. We get very comfortable with the idea that Jesus came and saved us for our sins. And so this Jesus, this Messiah, this man-God, is somebody that we're comfortable talking about. And I think Lent stays in the calendar to shake us up a bit and to shake us loose from our comfortability so that Easter morning has a powerful and profound impact on us. I think if we are in that place of comfort, what happens when we hear the gospel this morning about Jesus being taken out into the wilderness, led led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. So that's an interesting thing, the Holy Spirit leading him into temptation. We pray those words he offered us, lead us not into temptation, and here is his spirit leading him into temptation. Why? We're going to get to that at the end. Um, but if we're not careful and we listen to this Lucan gospel, I think some of us could get to the end of it and say, well, hooray for Jesus. You know, there he went, out into the wilderness, led by the spirit. The devil tempted him three different ways. I'll talk about that in a second. And he overcame all of them. And then the angels come and they minister him, they feed him, and Jesus does it. He wins. You know, hooray for Jesus. He's he's our Savior, again, from this side of the cross. That's our posture. That's what we expect him to do. We expect Jesus to overcome and win for us. But if you're a Jesus follower, I, I wonder if hearing that year after year really strengthens your faith and belief. Hearing about all the good things that Jesus does, does that really strengthen our faith or our belief? Or are there some of us who occasionally or have been taught to go be like Jesus and we fail and we keep failing and we feel like a failure because we don't guard our mouths or or we judge too critically? You see, just knowing the heroic stories of Jesus doesn't, I believe, help us on a daily basis. It's kind of like having a favorite sports team that won the national championship, and that's a good news for that particular moment. And you, you think, oh, well, I wish you know, they would play that way all the time. But day by day, it doesn't really matter in the long run. It doesn't shape our lives. It really doesn't apply to us. But Scripture tells us Jesus' promises are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that Jesus is the truth. And so I came to this passage thinking, okay, what, what is the truth in this passage that will have a positive effect on our life, a lasting effect on our life. So I want to look at it briefly and ask the question, what does the scripture mean for us today? I think a fresh or maybe a different approach to it might shed some light. And I want you to hang on to that word light. 
on what's going on. So here we go. Jesus led by the Spirit. That ought to be the first light switch we turn on. We're in a dark place. We're in, we're in a place of not understanding what's going on. So imagine we hear these words, Jesus led by the Spirit. So that, that clicks on a light for us. And most commentators would say this is an important piece of the story, that Jesus is being guided by the very Spirit of God into this. He's being protected. He's being comforted. He's being spoken to. Jesus goes into temptation with the Holy Spirit. First light bulb. Then the second light bulb, I think, is he heads into the wilderness. I prayed when we started, Lord, we've come from the wilderness. Um, Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and their leader, Moses, failed. Their leader, Moses, failed. Here's Jesus being led into the wilderness, and we know the end of the story. Jesus is going to succeed. So that second light bulb ought to be illuminating something in our mind that says, oh, Jesus is a little greater than Moses. He's going to endure temptation by Satan. It's going to occur on three levels. I don't know if we know this. He has a physical temptation to eat hunger. He has a spiritual temptation, power. Satan tries to give him all the power of this world. And then he has an emotional temptation to deal with fear. Throw yourself off this building, you won't die. Think of all the fears we have, the fear of height, the fear of small places, the fear of being left, whatever it is. All three of those things we face all the time. That's our wilderness. That third light bulb should be going off right now. Here's the fourth light bulb, and it's flashing in this story. It's flashing over and over and over. Jesus handles these three temptations, these three physical, spiritual, and emotional temptations, the same way. That's our clue, but that also builds up the case for, well, then let's all go and try to be like Jesus. He handles them in the power of the Spirit, he handles them with prayer, and he handles them with Scripture. And not just any Scripture. I I mentioned it to Ryan, and we both kind of had a light bulb moment. He handles them with the words of Deuteronomy. All three times that Jesus replies to Satan, he replies with words from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, a book that Moses wrote. It's Moses' swan song, my old, Old Testament professor used to call it. It's Moses telling everybody, here's what you need to know, and here's how you need to act, and here's what you need to do when you come into the promised land. Deuteronomy is what he uses three times to get Satan out of his life. You see, Moses gave the law that God spoke to the people. Moses led them in the wilderness. And Moses was used over and over again in the Old Testament to help people identify with their leader at the beginning of their deliverance from the Egyptians. Look quickly at the three responses. The first one, Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you and let you hunger and feed, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first reminder is about God's sovereignty and God's power. The second time Jesus answers, here's the full quote, Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. You shall serve him, and by his name you shall swear. And the last one is Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. So there it is. Jesus quoting Deuteronomy back to Satan. I think Luke records it. Here's where I'm headed toward the good news. I think Luke records it 
so that we come to understand our basis for our salvation. It's not the endurance or the suffering or even our attempts to be like Jesus. No, our salvation is only linked to the person and work of Jesus. You see, right before this chapter, what happens, the, the, the sixth light bulb, if we could go back and do one of those movies where you get the story before the story, kind of like that 1883 that's out now that's a, a prequel to Yellowstone, which I haven't seen either of them yet. But anyway, everybody keeps telling me I've got to see them. So the prequel to this chapter is Jesus being baptized. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. John's baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus gets baptized the chapter before so that he can begin to shed some light on his humanity. He does it to show us his solidarity with us. And into this temptation in the wilderness he goes to, to show us that he can overcome trials so that we might come to believe that he is Jesus, the perfect man. And so we hear these stories and we listen to his solidarity so that we come to believe he is that perfect human. It's what Lent is all about. We get 40 days of being reminded of who Jesus is so that during Holy Week, when we get to that confident 21st century place of, yes, Lord, I believe, as we've gathered on Wednesdays, as we've prayed, as we've fasted, maybe as some of us have given a little extra, we get to that place of realizing that as much as we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and this is the kind of place that should take your breath away, as much as we believe that, we can never forget that on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, we're part of that crowd that's going to yell, crucify him, crucify him. And that, folks, will bring us to our knees or should bring us to our knees, like a person caught in the act of adultery. If we spend 40 days getting close to Jesus, if we spend 40 days listening to the stories of Jesus, if we spend 40 days of thinking, he's the Messiah, he's our hero, we're for Jesus, and we miss the fact that at the same time we're in the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him, then our Lent has been for nothing. You see, Lent over and over brings our sins to the surface so we can ask forgiveness. And then it hits us with this punch that reminds us that Jesus never sinned. And just about the time we're starting to feel forgiven and comfortable in our 21st century ways, because we believe he did do it all, and we can't believe he did it for us, we look at him and we say something like, Jesus, thank you, I love you. And as we say that, he turns on his heels and he heads to the cross. Our love for him doesn't save him from the cross. He goes to the cross to pay our penalty. And that's that moment when we realize that our sins are what put him there. When the reality sets in and we allow ourselves to deal with that truth. Then Easter, brothers and sisters, then Easter will take on a whole new meaning. So yes... In the gospel today, Jesus went into the wilderness for us, not for himself. He didn't need to prove to himself who he was. He knows who he is. He knows he will be obedient. He knows he will endure the trials, the temptations, and the ultimate mockery. He doesn't do it to be a superhero, though. He does it to be our one and only Messiah. And when we realize that, our lives are changed. 
then when we walk with him through the cross, we are taken to our knees. And our response is, Lord, I'm sorry. So my prayer is that we'll all stick with Jesus during Lent, listening to all the stories of his Messiahship, believing more strongly he is who he claims to be, that we may shed tears when we get to that deep place of conviction that he is the Messiah. But don't forget, we're going to stand there with the crowd and shout, crucify him, crucify him. But that's not the end of the story. On Good Friday, we'll hear his words of forgiveness. As he breathes his lasts and says those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he'll die. And then on we go to Easter Sunday. And to celebrate that not only is the perfect righteous one and the propitiation for our sins risen from the dead, but that when we believe that from this side of the cross, we're given the greatest gift of all, eternal forgiveness, new life, oneness for God forever. He's no longer then on Easter morning the greatest human of all time for what he endured, but he becomes for the first time at the beginning of our brand new year, Lord and Savior, because he endured all of that for our salvation. Amen.